This morning, uh, we're going to begin a new series of messages for the next five weeks called At the End of the Day, and uh, you can see the topic for today. So a lot of different things we'll be looking at, and uh, we want to understand what's most important in life, really. Uh, there's a lot of ideas, a lot of opinions out there. Um, people that don't even know God have an opinion about this. It's not always a very godly opinion, but it's an opinion. Um, Rick Santelli, for instance, said at the end of the day, the markets are my passion. And Gary Gasparov said at the end of the day, it's all about money. They just put it out there very directly. Steve Mirabelli said at the end of the day, let there be no excuses, no explanations, and no regrets. Janice Vigia said at the end of the day, what you gained or lost is not most important. It's what you felt. Okay? And Maya Angelou, some of you know her, the famous poet, said at the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or you did. They will remember how you made them feel. Terry Wade said at the end of the day, love and compassion are going to win. That, that's what you focus on. And Denzel Washington said at the end of the day, it's not about what you have or even what you've accomplished. It's about what you've done with those accomplishments. It's about who you've lifted up, who you've made better. It's about what you've given back. And then finally, someone else said, the only questions that I'm going to be asking myself are these. Did I love enough? Did I laugh enough? Did I indeed make a difference? So at the end of the day, the whole point of this series is for us to think what really counts in life, what really matters. Do you know? I mean, there's a lot of things our lives are about, a lot of things that we focus on, a lot of things we give attention to, we devote ourselves, we gave, get energy, we give our time, our money. Do you really know what counts? Do you really know what matters at the end of the day? Do you live your life intentionally? Is that your goal? Is that your motive, your priority? Or are you like so many other lemmings, you know, just following all the other lemmings because that's what lemmings do. You know, they run off the cliff together. Uh, you know, just mindlessly doing what so many other people around you. Is that what your life is about? Going through the motions, doing what everybody else is doing, and hoping that you all arrive at some beautiful place together. Do you know what to focus on in life? Do you know what to focus on so that your life actually counts for something? Do you know what priorities God has given your life? Well, we're going to obviously be looking into the Bible because... We want to know what God says important. What does Jesus say is the most important things to be doing? And some of them he's very direct about. Uh, and so today we want to look at this first message. At the end of the day, people are more important than possessions. That's just a fact. That's a godly fact. That's God's way of looking at it. Now, it's not the way the world looks at it. The world would reverse that. But God says people are more important than possessions. And people get this wrong all the time. It's time for us to get it right. I chose two main texts for today. One from the words of Jesus, one from the words of Paul. The first one is in Matthew 6. The other one is in 1 Timothy 6. So we may want to start looking at Matthew 6 here for a moment as we turn to that passage. The words of Jesus found in the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, Jesus gave us a picture of how we should see life, how we should see our life, how we should live our life. What are the kingdom values that we ought to be living by? It seems to be the whole thrust of this Sermon on the Mount. And 
fitting to this is a passage in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. We're going to be looking at a major portion, portion of that. Jesus said we need to be careful about how we value and how we use money and our material things in life. He said in Matthew 6, 19, follow along, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now if you skip down to verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and he will love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money, Matthew 6.24. You have to choose one or the other. Now, people try and you know thread the, the, the line in there, just, oh, maybe I'll do both. Maybe I'll try. Just keep it balanced. I'll keep it all balanced all my whole life, and everything will work out right. Jesus says, it's impossible. It's an impossible goal to try and serve both God and money. We can't just give God lip service on Sunday and then live for money the rest of the week. It can't happen. It doesn't work that way. The desire for more and more money begins to take over, begins to edge God out. And eventually our lives are all about material things and very little about God, even though we may give him that lip service, even though we may give a, a portion of our time or even our money to him, really our life is serving money, and that has become our God. We have replaced God. Our love for God, our love for money cannot coexist, period. They are mutually exclusive. Jesus said it's impossible to serve both, so we've got to make a choice. Before that, Jesus was talking about what we treasure in life. He warned his followers, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be also. So this is the major principle that Jesus is laying down. Where your treasure is, that's where you're going to find your heart. The things that you value, the things that you treasure, the things that you prize will tell you where your heart is. Now it sounds... So simple to say it the way Jesus did. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It sounds almost redundant. It may sound to me kind of like a Yogi Bearism. You know, Yogi Bear loved to say these things like, yeah, well, okay. I guess it makes sense, but it's kind of crazy to say it that way. He'll say, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah? <laughs> okay. It's a real smart thing you said, Yogi. But actually what Jesus is saying here is amazing. It's profound. You've got all these questions. What do I really value? What is my heart about? Well, just check what you treasure. Check what you're spending your time on, what you're spending your money on. Jesus said it's real simple. Just look at these things, you know, with this, this lens, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I just want to just encourage you to kind of memorize this phrase. In fact, repeat it after me for a minute. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Go ahead. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't the opposite just as true? Say this after me. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So this is how you figured this out. We can hear Jesus saying to us in these verses, you know, be very careful about this. 
Be very careful about you and how you treat material things, monetary things, physical things. Because how you look at these things tells you how you look at me. They will be the key to understanding of what your treasure, what you value, where your heart really is. And all kinds of sins can come from a misguided desire to have more and more things. You know, if you get all ramped up about having a bigger place and a nicer place and a bigger car or a nicer car or having nicer clothes than you had last year, any way that you want to express this material drive, this material desire, all kinds of sins come out of that. Look at some of the things that come out of this. Jealousy and envy and covetousness and, and greed and selfishness and miserliness and and stinginess and callousness. You know, just all kinds of expressions of this desire for things over our desire for God. In another place, Jesus warned his disciples to avoid getting envious about what others may have. In Luke 12, he had this guy come up to him. He says, my brother and I have got this inheritance and he's not sharing it with me. And I want you to come and I want you to arbiter between us. I want you to want to, to say, my brother, you have to be fair. You have to give him his due share of this. And Jesus said, wait a minute, that, that's not why I came. I didn't come to be the arbiter. I didn't come to be the judge between you all. That You know, you, you have to settle that on your own. And then he said to his disciples, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Luke 12, 15. What a powerful, powerful verse. Life isn't about possessions. It's not about getting more of these things. Even though the whole world seems to be telling us that's what life is. That's what you do. You get as much stuff as you can and you're going to be happier than you've ever been. That is the deceptive, deceptive lie that is being told to us every day. Greed is a constant temptation for us. It's built into our fleshly nature. You know, we have this nature that desires things. And when this fleshly nature desires, it goes overboard. It goes after things that we don't have any right to. And it goes to an extreme level. And it's insatiable. That's why when you start sinning down a certain path, you're not content to just stay at the beginning of the path. That's why you have to go another step. And then you follow this trail and then that trail. And pretty soon you've gone over the edge in that whole trail because you've not satisfied to stop. That's the way desire is when you let it run in your life. And when our desire for material things happens, we just pursue them until eventually it consumes us. It becomes who we are. And that's why Jesus says, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be also. You know, sometimes we think we have this in order. I, I thought I was pretty good about this. I thought I was, you know, not being so much into material things. We have nice material things, but we're not all about that. I don't even worry about the bills. Unfortunately, uh, my wife has to, because I don't care. You know, I just don't really care about this stuff that much. It just, it just is. It's just life. That's how you live. And so I thought I had it pretty well in mind until one of my preacher friends over in Burke said, you know, one of my members retired, he left, he moved down to Culpeper, and he built this big mansion. He invited me over to see it. And he says, I knew he was going to build a big place because he had a big place in Burke. And he could afford even more down in Culpeper. It's cheaper to live down there. But he says, what I didn't know was that he was taking this massive car collection with him. 
has 13 amazing cars besides the ones he drives just for show, just to enjoy. And he's, you know, accrued these through the years. But he said when he built the new place, he bought extra land, and he built a 13-car climate-controlled garage for his cars. And every week he goes out and starts each one of them, drives around a little bit, makes sure, you know, they don't fall apart or whatever. And I'm thinking, how can that guy be a Christian brother? You know, how can he... You know, I got real judgmental in my mind. You know, like, that that's just extravagant. that That's over the top. How could you possibly justify that as a Christian? And probably have a hard time justifying it. But it made me stop and think, you know, I have some of the same problems. I need to think about my heart. Because sometimes I get greedy. Sometimes I get envious. Sometimes I get jealous of what someone else may have. So I'm quick to judge them instead of thinking about my own heart. And where I struggle with these same things. So question your own heart today. And Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What do you put your time in on? What do you put your money in on? You know, it's as simple as pulling out your checkbook or your bank uh, statement. You know, go, go online. That's where you do your banking. Look down the list. How did I spend my money the last three months? Or you pull out your phone. You look at the calendar. How did I spend my time the last three months? That shows you exactly where your heart is, what you have treasured, and what you consider to be most important in your life. Life is not about having more and more things, Jesus said. You will never find happiness, never find long-lasting satisfaction in owning more and more stuff. All you have to do is go to the grocery store, go through the line, pull out a couple of those tabloids, look at just the headlines. You see people with fabulous amounts of money that so many other people envy that they are desirous of the lifestyle they have, the rich and famous. And then the headlines say, yeah, they're splitting up. Yeah, they're losing it all. Yeah, this is happening, that's happening. And they are not happy just having all that stuff. That's all the farther they have to go. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, Jesus said. And the sooner that we learn that lesson the better off we're going to be. Now, the Apostle Paul, I want to look at him for a minute because he had kind of gone through this cycle. I think as a young man, he had had kind of favored status. He tells us, you know, that he was raised in a great school. He was raised to be a Pharisee among Pharisees. He had, you know, the right clearances. He had all the right, uh, uh, you know, heritage. He had, you know, all the signs of success within Judaism he had lived large. He had lived a you know a, you know a life of power, a life of of, uh, of uh, privilege. And I think as he started persecuting Christians in the early days of the church, he was rewarded for that. Because you know how the Jewish leaders were; they wanted this thing stamped out, and they were paying people to do what they wanted them to do. And so I think Paul or Saul of Tarsus was experiencing great great uh, material success physical success until Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus and struck him down with blindness and he questioned the whole thing and he learned a different way of life. It was forced upon him to that degree but then he chose to live that way and later in life you know, he had the other end of that spectrum. He lived in poverty sometimes. He lived you know, just working every day for the next meal. He lived so that he could share the gospel but sometimes he had to make tents and do other things in order to just, you know, keep a roof over his head and, and keep things going there. And sometimes he saw people living in poverty. I'm sure that he saw 
people you know in the you know just at the moment of death because of starvation and other things he'd experienced. So he had seen the whole gamut, is what I'm saying. But he had learned something, and he calls it the secret of contentment. Actually, in Philippians 4:12, he puts it this way: I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in what. I've seen it all, I've experienced it all, and I'll tell you what, you've got to learn a secret about this. You have to learn to be content with whatever you have. Then you can, then you can abide. Then you, then you can live with this thing. So I want us to go with another place in, in Paul's writings. It's 1 Timothy 6. And he says some of the most uh, wonderful things about money and material things and contentment. In his first letter to his young preacher friend, Paul warns Timothy to watch over, to watch out for false teachers, to watch out for people that would, would come into the body of Christ and, and try and worm their way in and change people's thinking, change people doing. And he said, especially be careful. They come and they're changing about your lifestyle. And, um, they're disrespectful of others. They're about themselves. Um, they're looking to make the word of God as a way to make money. You know, they, they're greedy. They're, they're uh, grabbing everything they can for themselves. And they want everybody to kind of, you know, serve them and, and be there for them. Be really careful of that. And they somehow think, he says in 1 Timothy <coughs> chapter 6, that they think that they can use godliness to gain something. And he says, I want to teach you something better than that. Look at 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Put those two together. Godliness and contentment together, that is great gain. For we have brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, you know, bare essentials, basic things, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now skip down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure. Here's that word again. Treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Take hold of the life that is truly life. And just think through this for a minute. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Finding the balance of both godliness and contentment is the best way to live. You don't have to have a lot of stuff. If you have more, it's okay. But my contentment is not in my things. My contentment is in God. My contentment is in the godliness, my godliness of my lifestyle. He says it's the best way we can hope to live. It's not helpful or healthy to strive for wealth, 
to strive for material things. So learn to be content with the food and clothing that we need. Those, in fact, who strive for these things, who, who push, who are motivated, who are desirous of these things, pierce themselves with many griefs. See them wounding themselves. They lay out their own traps and then they run into them. You know, they, they say, you know, they're just self-destructive. It is not helpful or healthy to strive for that. So learn to be content. Money is not evil. Paul doesn't say that. Some people will quote this and say, money is the root of all evil. That's not what he says. He says, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the desire that's evil. It's the striving. It's the motivation. It's the, you know, the passion for money, for material things that is so evil. And it leads to all these other things like the list we had a few minutes ago. The lust for more and more money can even cause you to leave the faith, Paul says. It can destroy the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And so in verse 17, Paul says, do not put your hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. It's so, you know, you can't count on that. You can't plan on that. You can't stake your hopes on that. Instead, stake your hopes on God, who is constant. God who is faithful. God who never changes. Put your hope in God, because he's going to provide you with everything that you need. So Paul then lays out this very simple thing. I want you to write this down. Maybe you haven't written anything else down. Put it, put it down. Four little things. He makes it real simple. This Here's your list. If you want to put God and people above possessions, here's how you do it. First of all, do good for others. Be rich in good deeds, is what he says. Do good for others. Be rich in good deeds. Look to the needs of other people. Don't just look for yourself. Look for what you need. Look at what people around you are needing. Okay, so your eyes change, your focus changes, your view changes, your perspective changes. Secondly, be generous and willing to share. If you see a need, do something about it. You may not have much, but you've got something. If you've got a, a crumb to share, share the crumb. If you've got a meal to share, share the meal. If you have a coat to share, share the coat. If someone needs a roof over their head for a few days to the next step of their life, you share the roof over their head because you've got that. God's already blessed you with that, so make that possible. Look for people that you can help along the way. Thirdly, lay up your treasure for the coming age, not for this one. So this changes perspective to what you're doing. You know, is it about now? Is it about today? Is it about the next 30 years? No, it's about eternity. What's more important than whether you uh, get all the wealth that you want or all the things you desire in this life is that you help other people achieve eternity in Christ. Oneness with Christ. Think about eternity, not just about today. And then finally he says, take hold of the life that is truly life. Now here's something we have to ask then. What is life? What is life that is truly life? It's the life where people are more important than possessions. We want to say it that way. It's the life where your trust is in God, not in your material wealth. It's the life where you're thinking of eternity, not today. It's the life where you're doing good for others, being generous with others, rather than thinking only of yourselves. He's already given us a description, a definition of the life that is truly life. And the focus of our lives should be on God and the people he's brought to our lives rather than working so hard to get more and more stuff, which is exactly what the world tells us to do. You've got to have more. You'll be happier if you get more. So strive for more. Have any of you been watching the Tiny House Movement on TV? Have you watched the Tiny House show? 
You know what I'm talking about? You know, people are saying, these are not necessarily godly people that are following God's word. These are just people saying, you know, it's smarter not to have such a big place. It's smarter to scale back. And so they might be living in a two or 3,000 square foot house, and now they're going to live in a two or 300 square foot house. Think of that. One-tenth the size of what they've been used to. That's a big change. And so they play games with them. They'll say, okay, here's all your stuff. We're in your house. Now you have this 10 by 20 space. You've got to fit it all in there. What are you going to take with you? What are you going to leave behind? And man, it's, it's dramatic. It's, it's drastic. <clears throat> and they have to make all these changes in their life. But you know, it makes a lot of sense. Even if you look at it monetarily, you see somebody you know that's got this $2,000 a month mortgage, and now their house is paid for. I mean, like that, it's done. No more mortgage. And they're 30 years old, and they thought they had another 30 years of this stuff, and now they don't. And so for $2,000 a month, they can do something else with that. Boy, their life gets a lot easier, doesn't it? It changes everything. Some of them want to go travel. Some of them want to just spend more time you know, doing this or that, and more time with their family. Some of them have a very real drive. You know, Our family never sees each other because I work days, he works nights. The kids never see both of us at the same time. You know, and we're going to change that by changing the physical dynamics of our life. That's the tiny house movement. I, I commend that. I commend the idea that we scale back. Doesn't mean you have to live in a trailer. Doesn't mean you have to go down to 10 by 20 or something. But it does mean we could make a lot of choices that would be so much better for us. So many times we just keep ramping up and getting more and getting more debt going, you know, and and the whole Financial Peace University class that we had recently was teaching you can only have peace if you get this stuff under control. You only you stop making these foolish decisions to buy more and more and get yourself more in debt. <clears throat> and I got thinking about possessions. You know, do we own our possessions or do our possessions own us? Most of the time they own us. Because every time you buy something new, it's going to wear out, isn't it? It's going to have maintenance problems. It's going to have to be replaced sometimes. You're used to having that now, so you're not going to do just without it when it breaks. You're going to go replace it, or you're going to fix it, and you have to maintain it. And every time you get something more, it requires more of you. The Bible you know, talks about us being servant to the lender, you know, and you know, we become the slave to that indebtedness. The same thing is true. When you buy something, when you get something, you have a bigger house than you had before. You have a nicer vehicle than you had before. You had more clothing than you had before. That's more stuff you're responsible for. That's more weight. It's like more of a burden coming down on you all the time. And when you can release those things and you relieve yourself of those things, it can change a lot. But there's a value beyond that. It's not just for you to get relief, not for you to get less stress. God says, you've lost your focus of the life that is truly life when that's your life. The life that is truly life is life that's not lived with those burdens and those stresses and, and those encumbrances. And, and you're able to, to stop. You've got time to look at your neighbor. Hey, he's struggling. I'm going to go over there and help him. i got time. Hey, his car broke down. I could fix that. I've got the money to do that. I don't have a mortgage anymore. I could do that. And so many options open up where people become actually much more important than possessions because we are not owned by our possessions any longer. 
And Paul says we must learn to take hold of the life that is truly life. Jesus puts it another way in John 10.10. I have come that you may have abundant life. Right? Life to the full. And he wasn't talking about more stuff, was he? When we think in American terms of abundance or fullness, we think of material things. Jesus wasn't talking about it that at all. He was talking about the life that is truly life, the life of, of generosity, the life of, of caring for one another, loving one another, taking time for people rather than being so caught up in possessions that you don't have time for people. And a Christian looks at this and says, that has to change. I can't live that way anymore. And I'm going to make some choices, some decisions to show where my heart is, where my treasure is. I read this week of a special donation that a widow lady made to her church. Her church was struggling. They were trying to expand. They were trying to do more ministry. And they were trying to raise, you know, like a couple million dollars. And she remembered a coin. Her husband had been a coin collector. She had this coin. She knew it was worth a lot of money. It was doing her absolutely no good. And she gave it. The neat thing was that he had spent $125,000 for this 1866 Double Eagle $20 gold coin. It had never been in circulation in all those years. He spent $125,000 for it. It's worth over $300,000 a day. And here was something she had that she had part of her assets, part of her you know, wealth, but it was doing nobody any good, absolutely no good. She said, why not put that in there? Why not throw that in there? And that's the decision that each of us made. That's what we're talking about, that people are more important than our possessions. It didn't really cost her that much. She didn't care. She never even looked at it. She didn't do anything with it. But it was a value. It was something that she could throw in that would help other people. And so that's what it's doing today. Have you ever stopped to think why God has blessed you so much? Have you ever stopped to think why God has helped you physically? Why he's given you good health? Why he's given you good stamina? Is it only for your own enjoyment? Or is it so you can help or serve other people? Have you stopped to think why God has given you more than you need to live on? Is it so that you can get more and more and more? Is it so that you can say, you know, we could easily afford a bigger house. Let's buy a bigger one. Is it so you can think, we could have more cars. We could have the boat. We could have this. And you think of all these dreams because the sales ads are right in front of you every day. The, you know, the internet's throwing the uh, sales in front of you. And the ideas are there constantly. But Christian says, it's not about that. That's not why God blessed me. That's not why God gave me. That's not why God gave me more than I need. It's so that I can be a blessing in somebody else's life. Exactly. God's blessings are given so that we can have the joy of blessing someone else materially, just as God has blessed us over and over again through the joy of generosity. I want you to think about these things. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? What do you treasure? Okay. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us today. We, we are so caught up in this world. We have people that, that are constantly pushing us, motivating us, encouraging us to sell out to material wealth, to just make that our God. And that's so, so false, so empty, so uncertain, as Paul says. Our hope is in you. 
Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the life that he gives us that is an eternal life, and it is the life that is truly life. Help us, Lord, to grab onto that life, to take hold of that life. Help us to make decisions that will free us from our bondage to material things. Help us, Lord, to realize that the blessings you give us in health or other material uh, items is really not for us to enjoy so much as it is for us to share, to pass along. And help us, Lord, to make those decisions that we need to make day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, so that we can break free and we can live as you want us to, that we could live the life that is truly life. And may our treasure be shown. May we discover that our heart is the heart of God in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.